It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby. For the concession stand with your host, J.W. Caldwell. Yes, my name is J.W. Caldwell. Welcome to the concession stand. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at the Florida Movie Guy. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JWPA Movie Guy. Got a big show. Uh, later in the show, we're going to have Marty Langford, director of the fabulous new documentary, uh, Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. I'll be joined by Ty Ray of Beats and Eats, uh, the Mothership Show. Uh, you know, part of the network that I'm on. Uh, it, therefore, I'm going to get to the show really quick. i got a few things we have to discuss. Uh, a little bit behind a movie review, so I want to give you a couple quick movie reviews. Um, saw Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, the, the latest from Tim Burton. Uh, Eva Green, and, and based on the, the children's books about kids that are kind of super-powered in X-Men kind of ways. Um, and I was fairly disappointed with it. Now, I haven't read the, the source material, uh, but it was one of those movies where a lot of things were going on, but nothing really happened, and it's a lot of things happening, and, you know, and there's a backstory that they have to build, and there's all kinds of things where they they have to explain uh, some time travel elements in the story, and they do an okay job with it, and, you know, the actors are, are pretty good. Uh, you know, Eva Green is really good as Miss Peregrine, um, you know, Samuel Jackson's a little bit wasted as the villain, uh, kind of a nondescript villain that basically, uh, you know, steals the powers away from these kids by eating their eyes, which is, you know, kind of Burton-esque, uh, you know, in what they do. So it's it's one of those movies where it just missed for me, because I didn't really have any, any kind of fascination with the storyline or fascination with what was going on in it. So it's a, a slight miss. But if you read the books, it might be one of those movies that people like. I, I don't know. Uh, it did okay, but not great. Um, and I'm I'm at this point now with Tim Burton where he is very much more miss than he has hit for me. Um, and we're, we may be looking at it as, like, he just needs some sort of palate cleanser. Like, he's a long ways away from Edward Scissorhands and Ed Wood, which are probably my two favorite Tim Burton movies, along with the original Batman so, kind of a mess. The other movie that, that's, you know, kind of had a big uh, fall release is The Magnificent Seven. Antoine Fuqua uh, rebooting re the, you know, the classic Western with Denzel Washington and Chris Pratt, notably. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio also in, in it. And uh, it's a good movie. Lots of action. They do a pretty good job with that. Uh, I, I enjoyed it very much. Lee. Pratt is really, really fun as the gambler slash uh, 
Wild Link, and Vincent D'Onofrio has a blast as a uh, kind of a, a hunter tradesman, you know, kind of like a beaver guy that goes out into the, the forest and just hunts Indians and... and it's okay. The movie's okay. The the seven are, are fairly interesting, and they cross a lot of different... Uh, you know, there's an Indian, there's an Asian f- a person. Uh, Ethan Hawke also does very well uh, as the as somebody who knows uh, the Denzel Washington character. Um, and that's one of the problems with the movie. Now, while it, it doesn't hit as well as, as all the other Magnificent Seven movies, it, it is one of those things where they did a lot of backstory that, you know, Ethan Hawke's character is tied to the Denzel Washington character in some way. And then Denzel Washington's character is tied to the villain, played by Stellan Sarsgaard. And basically, uh, you know, it, it basically you're just looking at it going, uh, ugh, what are we doing? And the villain, uh, whereas in the original, the villain, the original uh, remake, which of course is a remake of Seven Samurai, uh, Magnificent Seven, you know, Yul Brenner, Steve McQueen from the 60s, and Eli Wallach played the the bandit leader. Um, and basically, you can't have Eli Wallach uh, playing a Mexican, uh, you, you know, with a, in this day and age. And so basically, they, they didn't want to go with a bandit leader or a bandit attacking a small Mexican village. So they went to, a, like, a, a town where it's a gold rush town, and it's being taken over by a businessman because every Hollywood movie right now has to have businessmen being bad guys, which I don't get it. I don't, you know, whatever you want to do, but businessmen are boring bad guys. They just are. There's like, there's no, there's no way you can get me excited about businessmen. So, um, but they do. And then he has ties to the Denzel Washington character. So there is a, a backstory and that's kind of where we're at with obsession with remakes and reboots is that everything needs a backstory as opposed to just happening. Uh, like, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and, and kind of in the 90s, in the 90s we had the change, basically bad guys and good guys just happened. Now we're in a, you know, a world where we're fascinated by psychiatric developments where we, you know, we, we quantify and come up with reasons for things, and every villain and bad guy has to have a backstory. Every hero has to have a backstory and I, I just want a white hat I want a white hat I want a dark hat I want a good western I, I, I don't need you know a backstory tied and I spe- specifically don't need Denzel Washington's character tied to the villain so that there's some sort of like revenge angle uh, in the seven protecting the town that's that hurts his motivation you'll um, run in the original and and to a certain extent, Steve McQueen and the original, they go and do it because it's the right thing to do, not because they have ties to the village or the Mexican bandit played by Yellow Wallach. And that hurts your good guy thing. And, and maybe that's another thing where we're at, where we just, everything has to be a gray area, where good guys are kind of bad and bad guys are kind of good and everybody's got mixed emotions about things. But, you know, if you're going to do a Western, a Western has to be simpler and has to be done better. Uh, and that being said, it was fun. It was worth my matinee ticket price. So I enjoyed it, but it's not as good as the original, obviously. It's certainly not as good as Kurosawa's uh, Seven Samurai. Um, and basically we've, you know, the reboot remake thing is, uh, you know, the, the the village is has let those things sail for way too long. Uh, but again, I don't need 
backstories. Just give me heroes and villains. Um, so those are the two big ones I've seen. The box office this past weekend, um, the accountant uh, did very well for Ben Affleck and Warner Brothers. Uh, you know, a little over $24 million, which is a pretty good opening in the middle of October for a non-horror film. Um, and The Girl on the Train is continuing to do well. And Kevin Hart deserves a shout-out because he opened a comedy concert film to the tune of $11.8 million, which is huge numbers for a, you know, a comedy concert film and kind of puts him on par a little bit with Eddie Murphy from the mid-'80s with Raw and Delirious and uh, Richard Pryor to a certain extent uh, because he's... He's a big comic that sells out arenas and sells out stadiums, but can also get people to go see his concert film in the theater, which doesn't really happen anymore. We don't have any of those comics that that can do that, so he deserves a shout-out. Um, so we're going to do uh, a couple new segments this week, and then we'll get to the very big, very important uh, interview we have at the end of the show. Um, okay, so the new segment, I'm going to give you What Am I Watching?, um, and it's a new season. I have a, a, one show that I continue to watch that I've watched through three seasons. If you're not watching The Flash, you're out of your mind. If you love comic books, if you love, uh, you know, anything related, superhero-related, The Flash is, they're doing Flashpoint this year, and it's just, you know, they're doing alternate timelines. They're doing stuff that the DC Cinematic Universe wishes it could do. Um, and I am I'm on board with Grant Gustin as The Flash. The show is amazing to me. I, I love every bit of it. And they have taken... Strange new turns this year, um, introducing Dr. Alchemy and a couple other uh, major villains, and just amazing. You should be watching. Uh, the two new shows I'm going to bring up uh, for, for folks that are, you know, searching for a show that's not uh, an NCIS show or not, um, you know, a kind of a milk toast uh, comedy. I, the first show is, is Westworld. Westworld just premiered on HBO. It has got the foundation to be the next great Game of Thrones-esque show for HBO. Um, it's it's written by Jonathan Nolan, and it's produced by J.J. Abrams, and it's just got all kinds of pedigree. Anthony Hopkins, Ed Harris, um, so much goodness going on in this show, uh, three episodes in, and I I'm just fascinated by it. There's, you know all kinds of questions about morality and the great sci-fi shows and movies make us question what we are as humans and what we do and how we subject other things, races, robots, uh, androids, anything like that. It makes us question ourselves and what's wrong with us from the outside looking in at these objects and these robots, the androids of Westworld are, you know, the hosts are so intriguing with what's going on and you know Hopkins is kind of the overseer the, the the god of these of these machines and I just I'm in awe of where we're going with it so great show check it out uh, the other show I am completely on board with and completely fascinated and don't know that it can actually last on network television uh, is a show called The Good Place um, and it I, I can't begin to talk about how wonderful a show it is, because we're we're talking about a show where you you basically, in a nutshell, a care, um, Eleanor uh, is basically um, died, and she's gone to not heaven 
or purgatory or hell because they don't actually exist because none of the major religions have gotten it right. But she's gone to the good place as opposed to the bad place. And basically, it's a mistake because on Earth, she was kind of an, an ass. So, uh, you know, Ted Danson plays as a creator, the architect of this particular good place. You're paired with your, your soulmate and she's paired with her soulmate who's supposed to be a, a man named Chidi. And he is a moral ethics professor. And he is basically going through and teaching her how to be a good person in the good place from being a terrible person on Earth and lucking out. And all the while, in a surreal kind of bit, this heavenly good place has developed a glitch because of her. I, I can't really explain it. It's, it's produced by Michael Schur, who used to work on Parks and Recreation. And it is so good and so genius. Um, Kristen Bell is so good as Eleanor. And Ted Danson is so magnificent as the architect Michael. Uh, I cannot begin to put into words how great a show it is. And you should be watching. So, what am I watching? New segment. We're going to do more of that. Um, movie news of the week. Uh, and, and this is going to be a why God why movie news of the week. News came out this week that Leonardo DiCaprio is developing a Captain Planet movie. And, and again, that's from the realms of there are no 90s cartoons that can't have live-action reboots now. Because Captain Planet isn't a great 90s cartoon. It was, uh, it was stodgy and kind of uh, lame, and nobody really likes Captain Planet at all. Um, and you can find that on the internet by the Funny or Die Captain Planet joke video, but now they're actually rebooting it and making a Captain Planet movie. And if any, if anything is possible, the concept behind it sounds so intriguingly bad as opposed to just taking the Captain Planet idea, you know, five kids coming together, trying to save the environment and calling on Captain Planet when they need him to some sort of 90s superhero you know, he's on hard times and people don't call him anymore. So I don't know if it's going to be a comedy or what, but I, I just say, why God, why? Uh, and the other one that's more bizarre than a Captain Planet movie that doesn't actually do the Captain Planet cartoon show is um, producer David Heyman, who did the Harry Potter movies and was smart and realized how special they were going to be, basically... Um, has bought the rights to Willy Wonka prequel films. Yes, you heard it correctly, Willy Wonka prequel films, where the chocolatier will go on zany adventures before he eventually builds his chocolate factory. In the history of bad ideas, a Willy Wonka prequel film where there's no chocolate, or there's no chocolate factory, or there's no kids, or there's... Is, is easily the worst idea and worst reboot. It makes me question, why, God, why? So, that's Movie News of the Week, and why, God, why, and what am I watching? Um, a quick preview before we get to the very big interview we have coming up. Um, what's coming out in movie theaters this week? Uh, you got Jack Reacher, which is the Tom Cruise movie, uh, based on Lee Child's books about the military investigator. Uh, you know, Tom Cruise, Kobe Smolders, you know what you're getting with that. You're guaranteed uh, Tom Cruise punching people in the face um, for a good hour and 45 minutes with some action sequences and some quippy lines. Can't really go wrong. 
But if you wanted to, you could go to Netflix and get Top Gun, <clears throat> which, of course, is the height of Tom Cruise um, punching people or flying jets and making quippy one-liners. That's on Netflix. Go out and find it. It's Top Gun. If you haven't seen Top Gun and you're a Tom Cruise fan, shame on you. But if you're a Tom Cruise fan, you have had to have seen Top Gun. Um, also, this week, Keeping Up with the Joneses, which is Zach Galifianakis, um, John Hamm, Isla Fisher, Gal Gadot, um, basically a, uh, you know, two people in the suburbs stumble upon spies that are their neighbors, that sort of thing. And I was trying to think back of a, a movie that would be good to recommend, because apparently this movie is like one of those just terrible Hollywood comedies. And I thought back to 1979, The In-Laws, with Alan Arkin. Uh, it's such a great, great, great movie. Um, and basically, it's just about a, a guy who's um, going to his daughter's marriage or getting, and he meets the in-laws. And the in-laws are basically one of the one of the, the person in the in-laws is the father of the the person getting married is a spy, and he takes this mild-mannered dentist played by Alan Arkin on a series of, of zany adventures. Inadvertently, great movie, 1979, The In-Laws. Don't do the remake with Michael Douglas. Avoid that at all costs. Um, also coming out is Boo, a Medea Halloween. Uh, Tyler Perry. That should have been the Why God Why area of the show. Again, Why God Why. Uh, can't stand Medea, can't stand Tyler Perry and anything that he does. I just don't find him fine. And Medea character is just uh, to me. I couldn't even come up with a movie that you might want to watch instead. Uh, like, maybe Ernest Saves Halloween, but, you know, or Ernest Scared Silly is what, you know, something, anything. Um, ugh, so bad. Um, and then Ouija, Origin of Evil, which is getting great reviews, which is shocking, because it's a sequel to a really bad horror film. Uh, but this one is actually directed by Mike Flanagan, who has some really great uh, directing chops with regards to horror films. He directed the, the Netflix sensation horror film Hush, uh, which you see on Netflix, and also Oculus with Karen Gillian, which is a fantastic horror film. Um, uh, one of the great horror films of the last five years. So check it out. Those are the four opening Jack Reacher, Keeping Up with the Joneses, Ouija, Origin of Evil, and Boo and Medea Halloween, which gets a boo and a why God, why? Um, and now, you know, I'm going to shift to the, the interview. We're bringing in Marty Langford, and uh, let's talk to Marty. Good. My name is JW. Pleasure to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you, Marty Langford. Thanks so much for the call. Oh, we're excited. We're very excited. I, I, I got to watch the movie this past week, so I'm 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 geared up, ready to talk. Because I know it releases. It releases Perfect. today. Did it release today or yesterday? Uh, yesterday, yeah. We uh, we came out yesterday on video on demand. Congratulations! Huge. Thank you. Yeah, it's doing well. I'm getting great, you know, response. It's, it's validating, you know? It really, really is. Hey, can I say one thing right off the bat here? And I want to thank you for exposing this younger generation to Roger Corman. Roger Corman loved filmgoers. Today's Hollywood, way too cynical when it comes to moviegoers. 
Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. I teach. I teach film studies at a local college here, and uh, nobody knows the name Roger Corman. You know, these 20-some-odd, uh, 20-year-old kids, uh, they just do not recognize the name. And when you try to kind of educate them on it, they say, yeah, you know, big deal, sounds schlocky, not my thing. And it's such a shame. Uh, well, and that's the, the, the funny thing about the Corman stuff is that schlocky, you know, at the time was, was cost-effective. I mean, schlocky only became schlocky when it when you know, budgets in Hollywood have gotten so have ballooned out of control. Um, you know, at the time, Corman was a cost effective filmmaker that made money with real, you know, with real actors coming up through the ranks. I mean, Nicholson and in, in yeah. Little Shop of Horrors. So, I mean, it, it's a real interesting place. Corman here, though, like, you know, Marty, you're doing this documentary and it's basically uh, it's called Doomed. The untold story of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four you put a kind of like, it's an autopsy together. I want to call it an autopsy because it's all the rage, right? I mean, everybody's watching these you know, murderer documentaries on Netflix, but this is kind of a, an autopsy of a movie that was made, but never released. Right. I mean, that's kind of what yeah, you have. Exactly. It's a postmortem. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it was back in 92 and, uh, there was this German company, they owned the rights to the Fantastic Four, and they were trying to make a movie, they were trying to, you know, get this big deal going with 20th Century Fox, and they just, it was, uh, they were losing time. And if they didn't start production by, you know, 11.59 p.m. on December 31st, uh, 92, they were going to lose the option, and they would no longer have the rights to the Fantastic Four. So, so by, like, September, they realized that they weren't going to do it with Fox, so they called up Roger. And and Corman basically took it as like, yeah, we can do that, no problem. Give us a million bucks, we'll give you the studio, we'll give you all, we'll give you the editors, the cameramen. <laughs> but the people that were involved with this Fantastic Four are basically, you know, they're up and coming actors. They're people coming from different places, looking for their big break. And at that point, I mean, we're not looking at Mar like Marvel movies. I think one of the interesting things about your documentary is this is a place where Marvel wasn't what Marvel is now. Marvel now no, is no. the biggest, baddest, you know, part of the four largest, most important produ production arms in the world right now. I mean, you have Marvel, yeah, Pixar, Marvel Lucasfilm, right. Marvel's off the charts right now. But at the time, one of the interesting points, like a, a quainter time where Roger Corman, a Roger Corman movie can get made, Marvel's not as strong as it was. Marvel at that point had come out of bankruptcy and pieces were flying all over the places and that's kind of what marvel's been doing reacquiring these pieces in the news right yeah exactly you know they had you know uh the, the hulk was probably the biggest deal that they had the luke rick no hulk and that and the been, captain you know, america with the before. captain america the bikes the captain america right the... and uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah with matt salinger with jd salinger's yes. son was starring as captain america nobody that red skull that. was great i'm gonna i'm not gonna lie to you that red skull wasn't that bad he was pretty good yeah he wasn't no and, and then you had dolph lundgren as the punisher and outside of those properties marvels you're right they were doing nothing and, and so basically what happens is this german firm had uh headed by Bernd eichinger right picks up the rights yep. has the rights to fantastic four which is and, you know, in all honesty, one of the golden Marvel properties, one of the best, most important Marvel properties, because they're like they're kind of like the grandparents of all other Marvel properties. And he has he has yeah, to get absolutely. it done, um, has to get it made. He goes to Corman, Corman lays out everything. And then you hire all these actors super fast. And what I what I'm looking at is 
I'm amazed at people that came in like, and I'm curious because you've talked to all these people. Um, Alex Hyde White. <laughs> I love him in the movie and I love him mm-hmm. in, in, in like as an actor, I really feel he's, you know, and I don't think he comes across as angry in your documentary, but I think he's the most sad <laughs> internally about what happened. Am I right? You could be, you know, I mean, Alex was the one when the movie started falling apart and it looked like something was up. Alex was the one who used his own money um, and he went out and tried to rally, you know, attention for uh, for the film. He would go out to comic book conventions. He uh, made appearances uh, to try to force the hand of the company to release the movie. And it was Alex who, uh, you know, he was the lead and he was uh, that way during production, too. Yeah, he, you know, uh, he uh, in your documentary, I, I don't think it's, you know, I'm not going to give any spoilers. Everybody should, anybody who listens to Beats and Eats, who listens to I, my show, The Concession Stand, which is an offshoot of Ty and Nick's show. Uh, if you, in, in, you know, want to see somebody, a heartbreaking tale of Hollywood, you know, gone awry, Alex Hyde White in your documentary is probably uh, the saddest thing. Just watching him go through the machinations of everything, like, putting out his own money, going to all these film festivals, going to Comic-Cons before Comic-Cons were important. I think, is that one of the things you uh-huh. came across? Is that one of the things that shocked you the most coming across in the documentary, how smaller the cons were and how, like, how how it's not even supported by the studio in this movie? Yeah, it's funny because they went to San Diego, you know, in 1993, uh, to, you know, San Diego, SBCC, the San Diego Comic-Con. And they were talking about the size and the, you know, they said they got big crowds and people were interested. But, oh, my God, I mean, I went to San Diego. We premiered our movie last year at San Diego, and it's a madhouse. And the pictures I was looking at and the reports that they were giving, it's like, man, this felt like this little, you know, this little community con that they were having. <laughs> well, and that's, that's one of the big offshoots. One of the things I find most intriguing about your documentary, I think the idea that we are in golden age of, of comic book movies and we're in a golden age of comic book cinema right now although you know DC's far behind uh, we're still mm-hmm. at this point where we the beginnings of whatever and and the funny thing about the Fantastic Four they're one of the first major comic books from Marvel but they're also they're the one of the the, the big fish that got away would you agree oh absolutely I mean uh, Marvel Studios was lo- and fans too we all want Marvel to get them back because yeah the two the yeah, X-Men, that... X-Men and Fantastic Four give us give them back Just send them back so we can yeah, fix yeah, things yeah exactly and Marvel knows what they're doing I mean you look at every single Marvel movie they haven't had a misfire yet and uh, they have to be 0 for 3 with 20th Century Fox with a Fantastic Four property um, you know something's wrong yeah, and the, the the Fantastic Four property is an, is is a tougher property. Um, I think one, you know, I was uh, I was also I, I'm I'm giving a lot of props to your movie. Your movie is really is kind of unsettling in the sense that you watch how you know in many ways for some of these actors Hollywood dreams died with this movie. Yeah, uh, you know Jay Underwood yeah, yeah, is they... you know he's coming from a big movie, The Boy Who Could Fly, and he comes in he comes into the Fantastic Four, and this is the make or break role. John, Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, amazing, and he gets he gets into the movie. He acts, isn't and that's the funny thing about the movie. The movie's not that bad for a movie that was only made for a million dollars. It's really not that bad. It's actually pretty good. And actually, yeah. 
Could it be any worse than the uh, the Fantastic Four that came out? No, you know what? In many ways, it's better than the Fantastic Four that came out recently, mainly because they get and and you know Marty will agree with me on this. Doctor Doom is as right as any as anything in the the Corman Fantastic Four. Doctor Doom has never oh, been yeah, right yeah. on on screen, and jo- uh, Joseph Culp, who plays Doctor Doom in the Corman version is as close to a real Dr. Doom as we could possibly hope for. Yeah, and I think Joseph that's... is legit. Joseph is a good actor. And it's funny, on, on the iTunes version of the uh, of our movie that's out now, we have some, they want some extra features. And one of them is Joseph talk, talking about prepping for this role, more so that he did in the documentary, some out longer takes. And oh, my the, goodness. the lengths he went through to get into this character. Oh, man. Well, and he, you know, he was he was a Robert Culp's son, right? I mean, that's one of the things that comes out in the movie. Exactly. Is, yes. Uh, is a, he's Robert Culp's son, and basically, you know, he's worked in the business forever, and he's he's still in the business. He still does a lot of work. Um, but this was like the role that got away, the one role where he thought it could have been bigger, and they, you know, I, I he desperately wanted to do the reshoots and the and the the extra time in the sound recording booth, and right. you know, it's all for naught. Because they basically, they just wanted to get the option done. Yeah, and that's exactly, I mean, you look at it, though, and it, it works. You know, this little conspiracy, this ruse that this German company and that Marvel and Fox were all involved with, it worked. Constantine Films is still the production entity that owns the option of the Fantastic Four. These last three movies, you watch the opening credits, and it says yeah, it's Constantine, Constantine Films. Yeah, um, the, the, yeah they pulled it off. Yeah, it's it's a heist of epic proportions, and and I think Marvel probably sits there and goes, just give it back, please. And the, Marty, we're talking about yeah. it being kind of like a murder mystery, right? Because your movie plays that way, and I, I give you, a, you know, one of the things that I find most compelling in documentaries is if you can make a documentary about something that not a lot of people go, oh wow, that's that's totally intriguing. If you can make it into something, it's not. Where you can make it into a murder mystery or, or like a post mortem, like you have. Do you, do you feel that, like, in your all your filming, have you come across the person that you feel is, like, the guy with the candlestick in, in, in the, you know, in the library? Do you, do you have a person yeah, in your I head? Mean, I do. Do you yeah, know what I mean? I, I don't think it's... I do, yeah. And it was... I mean, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. And Bernd Eichinger, who's the president of Constantine Films, the co-executive producer of the Fantastic Four, passed away in 2011, I think. I mean, while it's hard to, uh, you know, anything other than hearsay and speculation on many of the, these people knew him, Oli Sassone, the director, Roger, they knew Burns, and uh, they they knew what went on. They went, you know, and it, it was, he was the one, you know, him. And you can't let Avi Arad off the hook either, the guy who was running Marvel at the time. That's what uh, I was going to ask. He did everything he could. Yeah. Because he had Fox on the hook. Yeah. He, he knew Fox wanted to make a bigger, louder frankly, dumber version of Fantastic yeah. Four. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I was going to ask, just because I found it, I found it kind of like, you know, there are the murderers and then there are people that are accomplices, like, and many, and many, you know, look at your film and, and kind of can see, Corman didn't really help. He didn't, didn't, like, he didn't help, like, he gave whatever, you know, whatever million dollars covered, that's what he gave. Um, and right. when I, I, I find it like really intriguing about your movie that you have this, these guys going back and forth and doing all, it, it becomes like kind of a, like a heist film, like trying to get the movie out and, 
the director talking about, yeah. you know, we're going to steal the edits and we're going to move these things around. And I just need to get it into an edit space so I can work on it. Um, did you find yeah, that the filmmakers lost all support? Right. Did you find that the filmmakers, like, I know they went on other things, but do you think that this is the one, like the one they, like, they look at it like the marriage that didn't work or where they, they just yeah. start jumping in. You know what I mean? Yeah, Oli, Oli Fasone, uh, who was the director, you know, I mean, Alex says it, we all kind of recognize that he was the one who got kind of the most screwed, you know, if we had to assign, you know, levels of screwedness. Uh, it was Oli, because people assumed that when the movie didn't get released, I mean, that logically, you would think it's because the movie's unreleasable, and who's most responsible for it, and that was, yeah, exactly. So Oli, he had, you know, I think it, it worked against him, it hurt him. And when he would go out for jobs, and they would say, oh, you know, what happened to this movie? Not even he could give them a straight answer at that time, because it took so long for all this information to come out, you know? They just, they didn't, they, they knew that there was shenanigans, but uh, they didn't know what the shenanigans were, so everybody just said, oh, it must be a piece of crap, it's unreleasable, or else they would have released it. So, Marty, what, you know, and you have this great movie, it's, it's releasing this week, you gotta be excited, um... Are you? Do you think we're going to see more of these? And I was talking. This is what we were talking about. Uh, but you know, Ty and I were talking about this before you got on. Um, and I've I've completely cut Ty out of the situation because I'm total nerd about. That's okay. <laughs> I don't mean to. Um, but do you think that we're going to see a lot more of these like documentaries or like labors of love where, you know, like the death of Superman lives and yours? I put your movie right in league with the death of Superman lives. Which is another great documentary oh, about a what a, a what if, you know, a what if comic book movie. I think we're going to see a lot more of them, especially with how prevalent comic book movies have become. I think we're going to see a lot more of people going, "Oh my God, I really wanted Emily Blunt as as Scarlet, you know, Scarlet Witch," or you know what I mean? Like, what would have happened if we had done this or this deal got made? Do you think you're going to see more yeah, of those? Well, oh, I know we are. Uh, there's a kid out in Australia. Uh, who has been putting together um, a movie about George Miller, the Mad Max director, was going to direct Justice League of America. Justice League, down it, yo, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right, yeah. Army, Ham Army Hammer's Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, precisely. So, I mean, there were costume tests, there was a script, I've read the script, the script's terrific, there were costume tests, uh, they, you know, they had started pre-production on that. J.J. Uh, Abrams wrote a version of Superman uh, Lives for uh, McGee, the director, and they were going to work right. on that, and that got quite... Uh, uh, you know, that got well, that, uh, some work done on it, too. That movie and your movie are the gold standard. The, the Death of Superman Lives is one of the, the the craziest, you know, Nick Cage is Superman doing costume oh, fittings no. with Colleen Atwood. But your movie is, yeah. is kind of the opposite end of it. Like, that movie, they did all the pre-planning and didn't do anything. The kid, the people that worked on this Fantastic Four movie... You know, you get the, you have really interesting interviews with, you know, one day we're on set and the next day we weren't and the movie was over and we waited by the phone and nobody ever called to say we're going to have a screening or say we're going to have the premiere. Or, you know, it, it really gets to the heart of Hollywood, right, Marty? It absolutely does. And it just shows kind of that, you know, you were saying earlier about having a movie reach uh, not just the comic book niche audience. And I knew that if I was going to have have any luck or success with this movie, I did have to reach the more mainstream audience. And it is the David and Goliath story. It's the artist versus the corporation. And, you know, that equation always ends up poorly for the artist. And uh, not and in this case, you know, just to the extreme level, extreme version of that. 
Marty Congress always wins, Marty. Yeah, I, I have a question for you, Marty, yeah. that our audience not might not be aware of, which is movies and TV pilots get made and nobody even knows about them, right? They More get shelved. So TV pilots, absolutely. There's this whole thing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, only the executives see all the pilots that get made for any given season. They say yay or nay, and the ones they say nay, you have these little half-hour shows, these little hour shows that literally never get uh, seen. There was a Justice League CBS pilot in 1997 uh, that's never been aired. There was a Power Pack pilot uh, done in the early 80s that's never been aired. They're out there in the bootleg market. Um, and there's, you know, there's... there's the Wonder Woman show from a couple years back is the is the yes. the one where the, the most recent where we had you know yeah. we, we pictures of her in full costume and then they looked at the first hour and just went nope <laughs> absolutely yeah, not yeah that was David E Kelly David E Kelly who's really like a, you know God in TV I mean that's out there in the market oh my yeah, really the market too Adrian Galecki played Wonder Woman right. <laughs> Adrian Galecki <laughs> went, uh, eventually went to Agents of Shield. Yeah, you can still see the green screen in some of the shots in this particular bootlegs. You've got wire work that they hadn't erased the wires. Uh, and it's actually, you know what? It wasn't that bad. I kind of thought it was okay. It had a shot, but uh, CBS didn't. And yeah, David E. Kelly got slammed with that one. Hey, J-Dub. Well, and that's, that's the funny... Yeah, go ahead. No, I just want... If you don't mind indulging me here just for a second, uh, being an old-time movie guy, yeah. being a little bit older here, is what did you learn about Roger Corman? Uh, I, I find him fascinating... I just find him a hell of a lot of fun, and it saddens me when you tell me you teach a class and people don't know who the hell he is. Yeah, uh, he is. He's the elder statesman. He, you know, he won an honorary Oscar a few years ago, which was well-deserved. He finally got that recognition from, you know, not only the Academy, but, you know, all these uh, Hollywood today, which he deserved. The one story about Corman that I have um, that I actually haven't really told, talked about that much because nobody really has that much about him, surprisingly, um, and he was gracious during the interview. He was open. He was wonderful. And he gave us, you know, more or less what you see in the movie is what we got out of Roger. We didn't edit that much. He only gave us very little time. But that opening kind of uh, introduction that he does in our movie, which I thought was impromptu, was awesome. I researched some more clips to see if I could uh, include some other things with Roger Corman. And I found this clip online of him giving the exact same interview line for line beat for beat pause for pause roger corman said the exact same thing in my <laughs> interview that he did with somebody from years before and it just showed me how kind of savvy he was you know because it seemed like i got this great bit of information from him no he just he knew exactly what he was doing he gave me he, just he, enough he made to, you feel uh, like a, a million bucks he made you he feel did. like yeah, a million I'm bucks like, oh, this is like i'm talking to a legend and then when i yeah, and it, uh, it was a little heartbreaking, but still, one of the highlights of my professional career. <laughs> Why, I, think I interviewed great. Will Chamberlain once, and that was it, but now it's Roger. <laughs> I love it. But I think I think that's a, yeah. like, kind of, it's kind of like the story of the movie, though. Doomed is a story of a movie that is as heartbreaking a, a Hollywood tale as you'll ever find. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you made it. I, I know you've worked a, a while on this. Is there anything else you're working on? Uh, right now, no. Right now, I'm teaching. I've got my family. It's been four years that I've been, you know, trying to finish this movie up. Uh, I mean, I made it. It was just me and Mark, my producer, Mark Sykes. It was just two of us. I edited it. You know, I had, goodness, 60, 70, well, 60 hours worth of interview footage to go through. 
the legal process was a nightmare, months and months and months, almost a year waiting for the lawyers to finally clear every image, every clip, every cue, every track, every composition, because that is a unique situation. There wasn't really a movie like this before. Uh, but we finally came out on the other end, and uh, yeah, now I'm just going to sit back and <laughs> watch, uh, not watch the money roll, and you don't make that much on docs, but at least watch the reaction. Did you have anybody that tried to block you? Did you have anybody that you, you got a real hard, line? I don't know if you can mention it or whatever, but is there anybody yeah, that you can, um, yeah. that gave you a real hard time? Yeah, well, I mean, during production, uh, Marvel, uh, Avi Arad, uh, and Constantine just would not return calls. Stan Lee, at least, uh, declined. He responded, which was very good of him. But uh, about a year ago, after I put the trailer up for the first time, uh, we got up to almost half a million views. We got wow. very hot for a while when Josh Trank's last Fantastic Four came out. We were up to 472,000 views. I wake up one morning... Uh, and it's down, and it says uh, this video has been removed by Constantine Films for copyright infringement. And uh, that was awful. That was scary. That was very scary. And uh, we didn't hear a boo from them other than that move. Uh, I recut the trailer. I think I know what they were at odds with. It had to do with some music rights. I recut the trailer. I put it back up, and it's been up ever since. Um, but having them take our original trailer down, that was scary. I kept waiting for, yeah. like, uh, you know, during a screening where they'd show up with a cease and desist or something. Oh. But it hasn't come yet, and we've been out for, you know, 24 hours. So. Fantastic. We're running. Hey, hey Marty. Well, that, that is, oh. it, is a, it is a great story about uh, the perseverance of not only the filmmakers involved in the original, but the perseverance of somebody like you making a documentary about a story that, you know, never would have been heard otherwise. Great, great stuff, Thank Marty. You. Hey, hey, Marty, next tackle Thank the you. making Thank of you. Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds, because I know you're such a fan, right? Oh, <laughs> that's I'm a huge Green Lantern fan. Yeah, that would be the one. You know, the good thing about Green Lantern, I have a script that was written by Robert Smigel, which is, uh, you know, you know yes. the comedian who's a Saturday Night Live yes. writer. This no, no, was no. the one that Jack Black the, Jack was Black attached was to. Right, Jack Black was going to play the Green Lantern, and they were going to do the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah. Kind of like a funny, right. like a funny group. Right, exactly. That's not a bad read. That's pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, Green Lantern is one of those. Uh, what happened? Just what happened? Yeah, that, uh, that was heartbreaking. Just what happened? You know, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why it's there. I don't know why we don't have Sinestro with a yellow ring. What is happening? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we're, and that's that's another thing about your movie that I love is that, I, you know, one of the things I think we can get across to this generation that's behind us a little bit is basically not everything was the way it is right now. Right now, you have A-list stars doing A-list material with A-list special effects, you know, $150 million movies that are released like clockwork around your... It is a golden era to be a comic book fan and a movie fan. And I think, you know, your movie... It really is. And, you know, I think your movie is one of those things where it's it's like a a, a touchstone. You know, 94 wasn't that far away you know um but you did great work i I appreciate it greatly stanley did not comment for the movie huh that was that had to be one of the bigger disappointments during it was yeah Uh, one one i would have liked to have met him uh two um it was just narratively in in terms of getting his side of the story because he doesn't come off that good in our movie Um, no he really doesn't i know uncle stan Stan takes a hit 
Yeah, it was an editorial choice to leave in what I, I left in, but I, I edited out some stuff that was much harsher when it came to Stan and his involvement with what he said over the years. And, uh, well, I think you I did. Love I, think, to I think you actually, you know, you hit it out of the park in that regard because I think, you know, you, you have him saying the things that he does, and then, you know, once you flash in a documentary that somebody hasn't, hasn't commented or doesn't, you know, didn't return or didn't want to get online with us and go over this, yeah. you know, once you put that into documentary, yeah. that's pretty much as fifth amendment as you can get in, in, in documentary speak, you know? Yeah. It was very telling. It was very telling. Like his absence, I think said a lot more than maybe anything he would have said, which would have been, you know, just corporate babble, uh, if we did get him. So maybe it was a good thing. Uh, we didn't want to have so, so Marty, where can we you know, find where, where can uh, where can fans find the film? Where can we find you on social media? Sure, social media. Just look us up on Facebook, uh, Doomed FF. That's our Twitter handle too. And to watch the movie, uh, search on iTunes. You can go to your Comcast or Xfinity, Charter, Time Warner, DirecTV, Dish Network, Vudu, Crackle, all those online platforms. We're everywhere. So just go to any of those, search it. You can rent it or buy it, and then we come out on physical media, DVD, Blu-ray on December 20th, and we got, like, crazy extras, features, and uh, really fun stuff. Marty, are they at all thinking, uh, last, you know, last question that's, I am so excited, I hope, I hope you do very well. Are they at all talking about, one of the things that comes across in the, in the, the documentary that I want to really uh, champion, have they at all talked about releasing... The movie has your movie. The original. This, so. ha, yeah, have they, have they, has it struck any what, nerves or anything? I mean, not that I've heard. We started to try a hashtag, like, release Corman FF. Um, we didn't get very far, and we, it was only a half-assed try, really. But, I mean, that would be remarkable. And I, and I would hope that with the success that we're having, at least with the, uh, the, the visibility that we've given this movie, I gotta believe that Constantine and, and Marvel are gonna recognize that there's value in this little, you know, 16 millimeter negative they got stuck in a, in a vault somewhere. There's value to that. And they could make some money, you know? And right. maybe and, our success will, you know, make them recognize it. And not only that, Marty, it's the right thing to do for those actors and Roger thing. Corman. It's the you right know, thing to do. Period. Yeah, Joseph, I had an interview with Joseph Culp where he was talking about how there will never be a successful Fantastic Four movie just karmically, you know, cosmically. Because they're until cursed. the right thing is done and they release that one. Yeah, yeah right. because they're It's like being on the Madden cover. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. But it's, no, no, I agree with that. And I think one of the things, you know, that's that maybe is holding it back is like they keep on holding out hope that they're going to not make a crappy Fantastic Four movie and they can't get out of their own way to, they don't understand the characters or don't have any love for the characters that they just, you know, Fox exactly. has never really been. Well, it's funny you should say that because that it. goes back, JW, to the first question I asked Marty, which is Roger Corman loved moviegoers. Hollywood is cynical. Yeah. Period. So it's funny you say that to end the interview, JW, because that's what I that's brought up perfect. when we first started. Marty, it was a pleasure talking to you today. I, I I look forward to you know hearing from you again. Maybe we can have you on when we do the Blu-ray release. We can. That would be have great. You on. We're chatting. If if you Absolutely. if you didn't like, love that. Like I said, I, I really enjoyed your movie, and I I wish you nothing but success. I wish all the actors too. Uh, you can pass it on 
for my, uh, you know, movie Thank guy you. in Florida, uh, Alex Hyde White, Joseph Culp, uh, Jay Underwood, all the all the folks that worked on the movie, um, Oli. God, I, I felt never felt so bad for a director. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, sir. Thank you. It was terrific. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Marty. All righty. Take care. Well, there you have it. Uh, thank you so much again to Ty Ray of the Beats and Eats Mothership joining us on this edition of the, the Concession Stand. And thanks again to Marty Langford, director of Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. A great documentary that you can get on video on demand, and later this year will be available on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, it's a great little movie, kind of a Hollywood whodunit about the you know one of the more beguiling Marvel franchises that has just not found its place yet. I mean, we've had two failed movies, and we've had a failed you know reboot attempt that was really bad. Uh, and basically, you know, this Roger Corman version is actually a pretty interesting version, and this documentary about how and the why and the how it got, you know, kind of put on the scrap heap and, and not allowed to be seen. And it's such an interesting documentary uh, with ties and recent documentaries about, you know, Hollywood comic book movies that haven't been made or the what ifs. Uh, so I want to thank Marty again for joining us. Um, but you can check that movie out, video on demand. Definitely check it out. Really well done. Um, and Marty put a lot of work in on it. Um, with regard to the show, uh, please continue listening. We appreciate all the listens we get. Uh, you can find us on iTunes or Stitcher under the concession stand, part of the Beats and Eats Network. Uh, you can find us on Blogspot Radio uh, under the concession stand, uh, part of the Beats and Eats Network. You can find me on Facebook at JWPA Movie Guy. Uh, actually, that's Twitter because, you know, God, I, I don't know my social media. Um, on Twitter at JWPA Movie Guy. On Facebook, The Florida Movie Guy, uh, which is a page you can like, uh, check it out. I, I drop a lot of stuff um, every day, trying to you know get people the best movie news going, uh, whatever I can find out there. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week. Uh, go to a movie, get some popcorn, kick back, and save me the balcony seat. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.